Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hi, everybody. How are you tonight? I hope you're with us. If you are, let us see. Give us a thumbs up. Say hi. Let us know you're out there. Give us a comment. We're going to start our Bible study here in just a few minutes, and uh, we'll be in Daniel chapter 9 tonight. Hi, Max. Good to have you and Pat with us tonight. Ruthie's on. Good. Um, we'll just give everybody a chance to get in here, and then we'll jump into this. It is 6.30-ish or something like that, at least Verizon time, and I call that God time because that's what's on my phone and what I always go with. Uh, Debbie's in, and that's awesome. And Scotty jumped in. Good to see you, Scotty. Seems like I just saw you a little bit ago. Uh, Cheryl's with us tonight. We'll give everybody a few more minutes to get in, and then we will jump into this uh, Bible study tonight. So looking forward to this. It ought to be a lot of fun. As you guys come on in, and we wait for a few more people to jump in, we're not going to go super long tonight, but I'm going to tell you um, on the front end of this that this is another one of those chapters that has so much meat in it, so much stuff in it, we could spend an entire probably eight-week period just dealing with this alone. Uh, and we're not going to do that tonight, but I hope if you didn't, you'll go out and download the notes. Uh, they're in a PDF format that I put on Facebook in the unit section. And if you go to our Facebook group, you can get those there. And I put a lot of additional background information in there and things that maybe help will help you a little bit with your study. I also put a lot of references in there tonight we're probably not going to have an opportunity to get to that connect this chapter of Daniel chapter 9 with uh, the other chapters in Daniel that we've studied, as well as some passages in uh, Romans and several in Revelation. And uh, Zechariah, I believe, also is referenced in there. So if you guys want to jump into that or grab that tonight, that would be helpful for you with your own study. I see Sam's in with us and Jenny jumped in. Good to have you guys tonight. Robert, hi. And uh, Dee Dee's there. Good to have you. And Joe is on. So welcome all of you guys. We're just waiting a few minutes to let everybody get in. I'm trying to watch my clock and see how long we go here. I don't want to wait for uh, five minutes, but we can certainly want to wait two or three for everybody to get in that's coming tonight. Dawn and Sam are with us, and uh, or at least it's Sam's account, and Dawn says she's here. So we're glad to have you guys tonight with us. Hey, since I've got several with us, looks like 14 are on, and hopefully some more will jump in. There's Ginger. Let me uh, share a few things with you tonight, and then we'll get into this, uh, this interesting study in Daniel chapter 9. First thing is this, our survey, our questionnaire that we sent out, we got a great response from you guys, and I just wanted to say thank you for that. And if you haven't completed it um, or you didn't get it, let us know if you didn't get it and we'll get it to you. Uh, or if you haven't completed it because, you know, life happens and I get that, would you go ahead and please do it? It's still not too late. We would love to have your information. It would be great, a great asset to us as we put together some plans uh, for reopening and steps forward and what we want to do and how we want to do it and what makes the most sense to care for all of our family and uh, provide ongoing um, ministry and messages and teaching and discipleship, which is really what we're all about uh, together. So uh, if you haven't done that, do that. Also, Mother's Day is coming up this Sunday, as you guys probably know, right? At least if you don't know, you do now. Uh, so guys, don't let your moms or your wives go without. Make sure that you take care of those special ladies in your life. Uh, but there will be Mother's Day care packages coming your way. We're going to make some deliveries similar to what we did on Easter. 
Uh, we'll be making those this Saturday. Probably, I think the plan is start around 10 a.m. And uh, it'll probably take a, an hour or so or maybe longer to get all of the stuff out. So please keep your eyes open for that. We'll have some care packages going out to moms. And then Ruthie uh, has put together a contest, a competition uh, of Mother's Day a Mother's Day poster, and I probably don't have these details right, but let me do the best I can. If you make a poster and take a picture with your mom or any special lady in your life, if mom's not available for one reason or another, and we get that, um, and then you post it to Facebook, she's going to find the most, I don't remember how she worded it, the cutest or the, I don't know, something like that. She's going to pick a picture that is the most unique, most special, most something, and there'll be a prize involved uh, with that. I think it's a hanging plant, a hanging basket with a plant, if I remember right. So there you go. I'd love to have you guys all be involved in that in some form or another. Uh, we got some more jumping in. Hi, Brenda and Allison. Good to have you with us tonight. And Stacy's out there. Awesome. And... Uh, I think that's all I've got on my screen that I haven't already said hi to. So I'm not sure who may have jumped in while I wasn't looking, but welcome. We're glad to have you with us tonight. Hey, last announcement, and then we're going to pray real quickly, and we're going to get into our Bible study tonight. And it is uh, 6.35, so we've been five minutes in this, letting everybody get in tonight and, and preparing. Uh, last announcement is this. Now that um, uh, refuge in place or stay in place or shelter in place is no longer in place, we are once again keeping office hours at the church. Now, they're reduced hours. We are still working from home some days of the week. Uh, so if you need us or need somebody, of course, we're always available by phone, text, Facebook, all those ways that we've always been available. We're still working all the hours, actually more hours than we ever worked, to be quite honest with you. Um, but we will be in the office uh, several days out of the week. So if you need us, let us know and uh, maybe just confirm that somebody will be there before you make the drive in, especially if you're driving very far. But we wanted to let you know about that. We're in the process of getting everything open back up there as well. So we're pretty excited for that. Um, at least I am. And uh, it's nice to be get back get back to something approaching, uh, we'll call it normal. So, hey, we're going to pray and then we're going to jump into our Bible study tonight. Daniel chapter 9 is where we're at if you want to grab a Bible or open your Bible app and you can jump in here with us. But let's pray real quick and then we're going to get into this. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. What an awesome God we serve. We thank you for this day. We thank you for, for um, just continuing to care for and take care of and protect your people. And tonight, Lord, as we jump into the, the Word of God and the, and the study of your Word, help us to uh, just, just take some reality, some, some truth, some meat uh, from it. And, and, and God, not just head knowledge, but let what we read tonight, some piece of it along the way, let the Holy Spirit use it to strike a, a place in our heart. And, and grow us and stretch us and make us more into your image every day. Uh, help us to continue to grow as disciples, each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, people are still jumping in. I see we're up to, I'm watching my feed here, we're up to 19. So let's dive into this tonight, okay? So Daniel chapter 9 is where we're at. And this one is... Um, in some ways it continues on with what we've been talking about. In other ways it goes a little bit of a different direction. So let me give you a little background, a little overview of this, and then we'll we'll um, we'll, we'll talk about some specifics. So Daniel chapter nine is unique in that, as far as the apocalyptic prophetic piece of Daniel, that like we've been talking about, there are no crazy beasts, there are no four-headed monsters, there are no 
um, uh, bears with with ribs in their mouth. There's none of the stuff that we've seen in so many of the previous two chapters. Uh, tonight is it, it actually opens up with Daniel having been in captivity in Babylon. Uh, he was taken there as a boy, probably around we can assume maybe 15 years old. Uh, he's probably 80 years old or so right now. Uh, so he is in Babylon, and he's been reading the scriptures, uh, apparently some of the scriptures, some of the Old Testament prophets and writings had come with him, had been brought with him, and he had been reading through them in Babylon. And in his reading, he came to understand in the first part of chapter 9 that the there had been a prophecy given that when the people of Judah, his nation, uh, was carried into captivity by the Babylonians, it would only last for 70 years. And Daniel is doing what any of us would do when we would come across the, that awareness or, or, or that reality. We begin to count, and he began to do the math, and he began to realize that, oh wow, we're at 70 years right now. Now what's interesting about that, and, and I'm going to kind of generalize and, and, and give an overview of this first section. I want to spend some more time in the last four verses, actually, of this chapter. Um, as he began to do this and he began to do the math, um, you know, a lot of people today, so here's some application for you. A lot of people today, had they realized that God had get a, given a prophetic word that was something was going to happen and they believed in the prophetic word, they would sit back and they would wait for God to bring it to pass. Now that seems reasonable, right? I, I mean, I, I get that. But Daniel didn't do that. Daniel was special, and I believe there's something we can learn from Daniel in this. When Daniel read that, he got on his knees and he began to fast and he began to pray and he began to repent. We looked at this last night as we used this as a prayer model in our prayer time. And he began to call out to God and ask God for mercy and he began to repent for the sins of his nation. And Daniel realized something. Daniel realized that even though this prophetic word had been given and even though God was the one that would bring it about supernaturally, Daniel realized he had a part and a piece to play in this. And, and Daniel realized this. He realized that God would not do anything apart from his character. And part of God's character says this. It says, I will, and, and this is actually this is actually written in, in, in the earlier uh, Pentateuch as well, that, that if my people will, if they rebel against me and chase after idols, I will bring all these curses upon them. And part of that was being carried into Babylon in, in the case of, of, the, of, the, of the people of Judah. Uh, but he says, he says, then if they will repent of their ways, if they will repent, then I will forgive them their sins and I will take them back into the land and once again be their God. And Daniel realized something. And if you read through the first, um, oh, I don't know, the first 19 verses of Daniel chapter 9, you, 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 you find in there towards the end of that passage, Daniel says, he indicates, my people still haven't repented. And Daniel realized that God will not do something contrary to his character. And his character said, I, I will forgive you if you repent, but I will not forgive you if you don't. And Daniel realized, we still haven't repented. And Daniel began to repent because he realized he had a peace, he had a responsibility um, to, to, to in this if he wanted the 70 years to truly work out. Now, we could get into all kinds of philosophical questions and, and issues here. The pro prophecy was given... So what would have happened had Daniel not done this and the people not repented? Would God have then not taken them back to the promised land? And if he didn't restore them, if he didn't open up Jerusalem again and begin to be their God and restore them, then would the prophetic word have that was given, um, would God have broken his word? And you get into all kinds of things. And here's kind of where I settle out with that is God knew that Daniel would repent, that Daniel would do this for his people. 
But just because God knew that Daniel was going to do that didn't mean that God forced him to do that. And now you get into foreknowledge and you get into a, a lot of deeper things there. So just suffice it to say, God knew that Daniel would do it. But had, if we can play the mind game for a minute, had Daniel not done this, had Daniel not been responsible, God would not have gone against his character. But thank goodness, uh, Daniel chose to do this and he chose to repent. And we begin to read down through uh, these first 19 verses. And we get down and we begin to, let's just read a few things here along the way. Let's look in verse 12. Um, he's describing the depth of God's judgment on Judah. He says, under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The people of God were scattered. If you remember Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the youth of, of Judah were carried into captivity in, into Babylon. And we look a little bit further along the way and we get down into verse 13. And let me just read this to you tonight. As it is, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. This was said in, Mo, in, in the law of Moses or in, in, in the Pentateuch that this will happen to you if you, if you desert me. And, and I wonder, we aren't Israel but we are the people of God. And I wonder how much of this promise we can take and attribute to ourselves, the people of God, if we choose to desert God in this day and age. It's it's an interesting and an important thing to, to, to ponder um, as Christians uh, and, and as American Christians. But he goes on and he says, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. And here's the part I want you to see. Yet, despite that, despite the, the, the calamity that's coming up on us, we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. In other words, all this has happened, but we still haven't repented, even though we're at the end of the 70 years. And verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity. And I I, I mean, you can, you can interpret that some different ways. You can read that some different ways. But I just wonder if Daniel isn't saying there, the Lord has kept this calamity, this bondage in Babylon in place. He's kept it ready that if now we choose to not repent and we choose not to turn back to God, even now the calamity stands ready that God God's keeping it ready. It can continue on if it has to. I mean, even God has the, the, the privilege and the prerogative more than anybody else, right? To change his mind if circumstances change. So he tells us that in verse 14, and, and that drives him to his knees to repent. And let's just read a little bit further down this evening. Uh, look with me at verse 16, and I'm just going to read a few verses along the way towards verse 24, where I want to really jump in a little deeper tonight. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Again, he describes the, the tragedy, the horrendous situation that's befallen the city of God and the temple has been destroyed. Uh, verse 17, Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayers of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. And there's that word desolate. We've heard this before in some of the previous chapters, and we're going to talk about it here in a few more minutes. The sanctuary of God has been made desolate. It's been destroyed. The, the, the people of, of Babylon have carried the, the holy... Um, 
cups and the holy altars and all the things of God and the worship of God. They carried them into Babylon. Remember a few weeks ago, we, I think it was chapter 5, we, we looked at Belshazzar and how he brought the holy uh, the cups and, and the things that had been used in worship, the worship of God out and they drank wine from them and actually offered up worship to the false gods. Um, and, and Daniel is, is just acknowledging that again and talking about how, how horrible it was that the, the sanctuary had been made desolate. And he asked, incline your ear to and here, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. Again, that word desolation. Um, a couple thoughts here with this. First one is we see that concept of desolation, which came, seems to keep appearing and appearing and appearing again over and over in, in Daniel. And we're going to run up against it here again in just a moment. But I want you to notice this, notice this tonight. Daniel is not asking God for the interpretation of a dream. He's not asking God for a vision. He's asking God for mercy and forgiveness. And then we come down to verse 20. And this is where we're going to start to get into kind of some interesting things. Gabriel, the angel from an earlier chapter, chapter 8, comes to Daniel in the form of a man uh, after his praying and his confessing. We see it in verse 21. And as he comes, he tells Daniel this in verse 25, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Now remember, Daniel's been repenting and, and, and he's not been asking God for a vision or anything else. He's just been repenting and asking God to forgive and have mercy on his people. But D Gabriel comes and says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. A word went out. Now, presumably, a word went out via Gabriel from where? Where would we assume that word came from? It would make sense that it came from God, right? So a word has gone out from God through Gabriel to Daniel. So we know Daniel is getting a word from God. And, and if we read on in verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. And look at the last part of this. Therefore, consider the word, the word that has gone out from God, and understand the vision. So what is this vision? Daniel, now this is this is this is important. I want you to see this. Daniel Daniel has not had a vision. I mean Daniel had a dream, a vision of a of a bear uh, of four beasts, one of which was a bear, a leopard, a lion, I believe it was, and then the beast that was unrecognizable. He had a dream last week we looked at of a ram and a goat. He had the dream of the tall statue in chapter 2. But in this instance, in this chapter, in this situation, Daniel hasn't had a vision. So what is this reference to a vision? Therefore, consider the word, the word that's gone out from God, and the vision. What is this vision? Now, there's a couple ways to understand this. The first would be the vision is simply Daniel's vision of Gabriel. But I'm not really persuaded that that's what it means. Some people take it that way, and that's fine. I'm not very really persuaded because I think I think Daniel's perspective or view of Gabriel wasn't a vision. I believe Gabriel was truly there. So what is this vision? And and, and I think perhaps what happens here, and, and we can see it as we get into these last four verses. Gabriel is coming to explain to Daniel not only the word that has come from God, but this word that has come from God is going to tie back into previous visions that were given. Chapter 8, chapter 7, chapter 2. And, and as we look into these last four verses, that's exactly what happens. And, and maybe especially chapter 7 and chapter 8. I think it was chapter 8 where Gabriel, Gabriel himself was actually the one that came and brought the interpretation in that instance of the vision to Daniel. So that brings us to verse 24, and let's look at this tonight. Now here's the part that we could spend hours on, 
and I would love to do it. I, I love to teach. I love to teach this 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 stuff. And, and Daniel is an interesting, interesting book. Um, but we just absolutely, um, absolutely don't have time to do that tonight. So let's hit an overview. And let me just give you some things that maybe if you have interest in it, you can go a little deeper. Uh, let me read the four verses and then we'll come back and talk about them a bit, a bit. Maybe we won't read all the way through, but let's get started. Daniel says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people. Or Gabriel says to Daniel, 70 weeks are decreed about your people or the people of Judah, the, the God's people, and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled times. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. There's that word desolation again. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, there's desolation again, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator, or again, there's desolation. So, Wow. Let's let's dive into this a bit. Uh, if you're like me, the first bunch of times I read through this, my head just swam. If for no other reason than the 70 weeks, and then there's seven weeks, and then there's 62 weeks, and then there's one week, and then there's a half a week. And Gabriel, what are you talking about? It almost feels like Gabriel needs to give an interpretation of his explanation of this word from God and this connection to the previous visions. So let's start with this, 70 weeks. How do we understand 70 weeks? What does that mean? Uh, I, I will tell you on the front end, and I put it in my notes, this is one of the most controversial four verses in the entire Bible. Okay, so go into that with this knowledge, and therefore I go into this with a lot of humility, and I encourage you to do this as well. Anybody that comes to you and says, I've got it figured out, I know exactly what this means, I understand all the details and the idiosyncrasies of this, run away, okay, because they don't. Um, there are so many different ways this can be looked at, but there are some ways that make more sense than others. So let's look at this. 70 weeks, what does 70 weeks mean? The first place we could start with this is 70 weeks are... Um, Literal. And, and anytime I read God's word, the place I always start is liter to take it literally. Uh, I think we should always start there. And then if the literal understanding of God's word uh, doesn't seem to make sense, or there's good reason within the context to take it symbolically, then we move to symbolic. So that's what we're going to do. So 70 weeks would mean, y'all with me? 70 weeks, right? 70 weeks would mean 70 weeks. That's the first possibility. Um, let's look at this. Two things I'll just point out tonight, and there's some others, many others we could go into. First one is this. We're looking at apocalyptic literature, right? Uh, and we've seen symbolism throughout this whole thing. So to expect things to be represented symbolically is not unreasonable. So at least we go into it with the possibility that this could be symbolic and not truly a 70-week period. The second thing is this. If you look at verse 24 with me, I want you to see this. Um, Gabriel gives Daniel six things that must come to pass by the end of the 70 weeks. 
So let's read this again and let's see if we can identify these six things just real quickly. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish. So here's the first one. The transgression is going to be finished. Um, the second one would be there will be put an end to sin. Sin will no longer exist. It will be ended. Uh, there will be atonement for iniquity. Um, to bring in everlasting righteousness. So righteousness will be forever from that point on. Uh, to seal both the vision and the prophet. To anoint a most holy place. Um, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So we've got six things there I just named that have to happen by the end of the 70 weeks. Now, we're also told that the 70 weeks begins with the decree that went out that, hey, you can go and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, here's where it gets fun because we have some historical reference, okay? Um, and there's some debate on which of these dates exactly is right, but we're going to go tonight with the date of 400, excuse me, 458 B.C. In 458 B.C., <coughs> in 458 B.C., I get choked up. I get talking too fast. In 458 B.C., Artaxerxes uh, sent out a decree that said to Nahum and, or Nehemiah and Ezra, you can go and rebuild the temple. So 458 becomes our starting point. If we go 70 weeks from 458 B.C., uh, we are just over, uh, I mean, there's 52 weeks in a year, so we're about a year, and we'll just call it roughly a year and a half from 458 B.C. So by 460 B.C., let's say, did all of these things happen? You answer it with me, okay? Uh, the We could talk about some of them in detail, but we won't tonight. Was the transgression <clears throat> finished? Um, that one we're not going to dig into tonight, but how about this one? Was there an input to sin by 460 B.C.? No, absolutely not. People continued to sin beyond that. Uh, was there atonement for iniquity beyond that? Mm, probably not, because the temple hadn't been built, so even the Old Testament method of atonement wasn't in place, and certainly Jesus hadn't come. Uh, how about everlasting righteousness? No, that wasn't in place either. So we see 70 literal weeks just don't make sense, and I could go on through that, but I won't tonight. How about this? Another way to understand 70 weeks would to see each week as a year, so 70 years. So let's do the math again, and let's look at this. 70 years from 458 B.C. Uh, would be what? Four, I can't, I could grab my calculator and do it uh, tonight, but that would put us into... I'd have to do some subtraction there, 458 minus 70. Somebody that's better with math that has a calculator in front of them, throw that number up for me. What's 458 minus 70 tonight? It puts us into the 300s BC. The same things that I just explained to you had not taken place by that time as well. So 70 years doesn't make sense. In other words, a week doesn't equal a year. So there's one other way this can be looked at. There's a number, but these are the three primary ones I think we should look at. Uh, what if one week doesn't equal a week and one e week doesn't equal a year, but what if one e week equals seven years? One week in Daniel e equals seven years. So 70 weeks would be 490 years. Well, this is where it gets fun and this is where it gets kind of interesting. 490 years. And let me just share a few of these numbers with you tonight, okay? Uh, 490 years... Uh, would put us into about the time within a decade or so of Jesus' baptism. So let's back up a little bit here and look at this in terms of 
each week equals seven years. We're told that he, Daniel then goes ahead, or Gabriel then goes ahead and breaks this down into three different periods of time. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to breathe for a minute, because here's what I want to know. Hi, Darlene. Good to have you with us tonight. I see Mike jumped in. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Um, I don't know if you're still on vacation or back, but either way, it's good to have you with us tonight. I'm not sure who else is out there, but let me stop for a minute and say to you all, is your head spinning yet? If it is, give me a thumbs up. I want to know because this stuff makes my brain hurt. I'm just going to tell you right now, it makes my head hurt a little bit. Um, anybody else? 70 weeks, all of this stuff. Okay, a few of you are with me. Good. I don't, I'm in good company. I'm glad to hear that. Now listen, if you guys can hang with me for just a few more minutes, I want to explain this to you and give you some direction to some other references, which is in the, the, the notes that I published that you can follow up. And I want to make a few quick connections back to what we've studied before. Uh, and, and maybe next week, I, I keep saying this, maybe next week, I'll see what next week's context has. We may go look at it a little deeper, but let's just... See if y'all will hang with me for a few more minutes here. We will, we will, we will, we will get through what does the 70 weeks mean. And, and I hope it helps you to understand and to, to read a little bit. So Daniel comes back, or Gabriel comes back and tells Daniel so there's going to be 70 weeks, which we now know is 490 years. And then he breaks this down into three. This 70 weeks is broken into three periods. So he says the 70 weeks, there's in there's going to be a seven uh week period, which if a week is seven years. There's going to be a 49-year period. And then he says there's going to be 62 weeks. So 7 plus 62 is 69. So we've got all but the last week taken care of. So there's a seven-week period, which is 49 years. There's a 62-week period, which is three or 434 years. I did that math ahead of time and wrote it down. How about that? 434 years, and then we've still got one week left to go. Now, those first 69 weeks, that first seven-week period or 49 years, and that first 62 weeks or 434-year or period, for us, it's history. It's already happened. I want you to see this. So we can look back and say, oh yeah, okay, I get that. I make it. I, I'm, that makes sense to me. To Daniel, this was future. To us, it's history. So the cool thing for us is we can look back and say, yeah, I see how that was fulfilled. For Daniel, he's looking forward saying, okay, I'm not even going to live to see this, uh, but I'm believing and this is prophetic for him. It's future oriented for him. For us, it's historical. So if we go back to 458 BC, when the decree went out to rebuild the temple, and we add that first seven weeks or 49-year period to it, that takes us up to 409 BC. So 458 BC, move 70 or move 49 years ahead, you get to 409 BC. And it says what I just read to you. Uh, let me read it again. Go back up here to verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So from 458 BC at the point of 409 BC, there was a prince, a an anointed one that would come. So something happened. Some, we don't know what exactly, but something happened. Somebody came on the scene. Now, here's the thing. We hear anointed one, and we automatically think Messiah. We think Jesus. But here's what I need you to understand tonight. The, the word actually, interestingly, is the, the Hebrew word that is translated anointed one there is Messiah. 
But in our minds, because we're post-Jesus, we're after Jesus' birth and death and resurrection, we automatically go to Jesus. But Messiah was used throughout all of the Old Testament, and all Messiah means, or what Messiah really means, is anointed one or one empowered to do the will of God. And it was applied to every king of Israel. Uh, it was a, it was applied to priests, and it was a, a it was applied uh, to kings. So all that's being said there is after 49 years, 49 years after the rebuilding of the temple uh, and the decree goes out, I mean, uh, there will be somebody that will come on the scene who will be the anointed one who will be a, a, a king or a priest or both. And we've got a few options, a few possibilities that could have happened. We know this, that Nehemiah and Ezra, those of you that are a little bit of an Old Testament Bible scholar, these are the two men that went and re and built the city of Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple, and reestablished worship in Jerusalem. And in, in the temple, we know that both of them by 407 B.C., so we're now we're 51 by 51 years after the decree went out these men were no longer on the scene there were other men on the on the scene so chances are really good that there had been another high priest another leader that had come on the scene after Nehemiah and Ezra um, that fulfills this this prophetic word, this this piece of, of this knowledge and this vision. So we we know that that happened, and, and there's two possibilities at least. One is called Zerubbabel, and the other is Joshua, and both of these are referenced in the book, the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter four, verse fourteen, to be specific, uh, gives a general reference to them. So we've got. We've got 49 years after the decree to, to go and rebuild Jerusalem goes out, a new anointed one, meaning a new priest, king, or both, comes to power. At this point, the temple is rebuilt. Jerusalem is rebuilt. It's been a time of war. It's been a hard time. So the first seven weeks or 49 years is completed. And then he goes on and he says, so read with me here. Um, then for 62 weeks, so this is the second period of time, for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. All right, I'm going to do this tonight. It is 7.03. I'm going to talk on through the 62 weeks tonight. We're going to be right up to the final week, and we're going to, we're going to stop there. And next week, we will come back, and we will pick this up there, and we will talk on through this. And if next week's looks really good, then we will kick that out a week. I, I want to spend some time on this. This is just too much fun, too much great, just powerful understanding of how the prophetic word of God has come to pass in our day, to pass, in our, our, our day or in our history to pass up tonight. So 62 weeks, these 62 weeks, we're told that it shall be built again. A prince, there shall be seven weeks after the or up to the prince, and then for 62 weeks, the city or the people shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled times. So here's the thing. Over the course of the next 434 years, after this prince came, the city of Jerusalem shall continue to be built up. Now, I think it probably means more than just the city of Jerusalem. I, I think it probably means the people of God will be built up. I think it probably means worship will continue to grow and expand and develop within Jerusalem because they had been gone for 70 years. A generation had been wiped out. They didn't even, they didn't even ha have a good understanding of much of what had to happen. So across the course of the next 
uh, 62 weeks, which is 434 years, Jerusalem developed, the people of God developed, worship developed, all those things developed. And that's what we see referred to here. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat. Now, this moat thing's kind of interesting. We got this picture of a castle, a moat, alligators, water, all of that. Probably moat would have been better translated as ravine. They probably dug a ravine around the walls, the outer walls of Jerusalem. There's a couple of different ways that could have been referenced, so don't let that get to you or bother you. Um, but it will be in troubled times. And if you go back and read Nehemiah, read Ezra, read those stories, read the, the, those pieces of, of, of history, uh, trust me, these were troubled times. At the end of the 62 weeks, which now, in the context of the 70, we've gone through the first seven, we've gone through 62, so we're actually at the end of the first 69 weeks. After that 62 weeks, is, which is followed the seven weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. So that would be another, we've got the 49 years, and we've got another 434 years. Do you know where that takes us? That takes us right up to about about these numbers are, are are hard to be exact exact on because we don't know exactly what day is referenced but it's going to be really close to the year 25 AD now here's what's interesting about that 25 AD is the year that generally is accepted 25 or 26 AD was probably the year this guy by the name of Jesus Christ was baptized and if you remember the story in the New Testament Heaven was opened and God looked down, the Father looked down and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It, it was the day that his ministry on this, or it was the, the year that his ministry on this earth was inaugurated. So after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. This anointed one then becomes the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we know that he was anointed after 62 weeks. And we know that he was cut off in the sense that he was crucified and hung on a cross. And, and shall have nothing. I'm in verse 26 of chapter 9. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So after 62 weeks, we're still not to the 70th week, it seems, because we're told it's after 60 weeks, but the final week still hasn't happened. So after the 62 weeks, after uh, the anointed one comes, another anointed one, this time the Messiah Jesus comes and is cut off. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Here's what we know in AD 70, okay? We, we talked about AD 25 when Jesus came. In AD 70, the Romans came in, they went to war with, with the people of Israel again, and they came in finally after a number of years of infighting, they came in and they destroyed the temple. They, they, no stone was left on top of another stone. They, they killed. They, they, it was a horrible, horrible time. Uh, Jerusalem itself was, was, was attacked. And the, the city was destroyed in many ways. The sanctuary was destroyed. And its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. But we still haven't got to that last week. Here's what I want you to see tonight, and this will be a good place to bring this to a close. The people of the prince who is to come. Who is this prince? And if you go into the notes tonight, you can see some references to this prince in Daniel 8, Daniel 7, uh, and then in Revelation as well. The prince, if you remember from previous weeks, the prince is the people of the prince who shall come. So this person, this prince, is going to be of the Romans. The Romans are the one that destroyed the print, destroyed the city, destroyed the, the temple. 
The prince is the eleventh horn of the previous ch of chapter seven that we looked at a few weeks ago. He is the little horn of chapter eight, or at least the foreshadowing. This is the Antichrist. The people of the prince who is to come. The prince is the Antichrist. Uh, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. That is the Romans. They destroyed the city. Therefore, the prince, the Antichrist, the eleventh horn, the little horn of chapter 8, um, shall come out of the, the, the people of Rome. A rebirthed, a recreated, a redeveloped Rome. And we don't know exactly how that's going to look like. We know there will be ten nations that will come out of what used to be Rome. I'm not saying that there's going to be a new, quote, Roman Empire, but out of those people it will happen. And, and that's what we're looking at here. And then we come down to its end shall come with a flood. The end of Jerusalem and the temple will come with a flood. It happened in AD 70, very much that way. And to the end there shall be war. And there was war upon war upon war right up to the time and beyond. Even the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And then verse the, the very last sentence. And this is a sentence. This is not just a comma. This is a sentence. Desolations are decreed. And we're back to desolations again. So let's read the last part of this and we'll bring this to a close. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Who shall make a strong covenant? Probably in context, it's the prince. The prince, the Antichrist, the, the little horn of chapter 8, the eleventh horn of chapter 7, will make a covenant with many for one week. How long is one week? One week is seven years. Now here's the thing I want you to see tonight. The first seven weeks, the first 49 years have happened. We can see them historically. We can see how they played out. The, the, the first, the 62 weeks that followed that have already happened historically. We can see them. They've already played out. Then there is a gap. There is a period of time we can look at next week that takes place between the end of the 69th week and the start of the 70th week when the prince arises. Now remember this, by the time this is all said and done, all six items in verse 24 will be completed. As of this moment, today in history, all six items have not been completed. Obviously, sin continues. Righteousness not, does not reign for everlasting. All those things have not been fulfilled, but they will. So we have yet... And this is where we'll pick up next week. We have yet one week to go through, one week yet to experience. And that one week is symbolically rep representing seven years. We've still got a seven-year period that we will go through. And in that period of time, this prince, this Antichrist, will come to power. And he will make a covenant with many. And then it gives us that reference in the last part of verse 27. Half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And we're back to abomination and desolation. And we'll talk about that. And we'll talk about that next week. All right. I see uh, Cheryl says she can't do math. Um, Scotty's got math exclamation point. Yeah, I know. It may, I'm telling you guys, I would so much rather do this in person uh, where we could have a conversation. It is challenging to try to do this this way. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the tribulation period. Uh, and Mike says explanation of time. Um, Mike, give me, throw me out another comment there. What are you looking for, my friend? Explanation of time. Uh, if I can give it to you right now, I will. If I can't, I will do it another time or I will do it next week. Um, you can send that back through Joe if you want to, or you can, you can let me know in person either way or text me or something. I would love to, to, to go a little further into that. Hey, listen, let's do this tonight. If, uh, any part of what I've said confuses you and I'm guessing that's everybody, throw me up as we get off here, throw me up some questions, 
throw me up some places for clarification. And next week, we are going to do part two of this. We are actually going to do that next week. We're not going to jump into chapter uh, 10 next week. We'll bump that out a week. We're okay with that. Because uh, I know, yes, Joe, head is spinning for sure. Mine did all afternoon and all week as I studied this. Um, I'm trying to read some comments here. Oh, I got you. Okay. I, I, this is the fun part of trying to do this on Facebook Live. Hey, guys, listen. Uh, throw me up some comments, some questions, and I will go back through them. Going to pray. Let you guys get out of here. Thank you so much for connecting with us tonight. We've gone about 45 minutes longer than I tried to do on Wednesday night, but there was just so much stuff here. And I don't, I, I, I'm sorry to overwhelm you. I hope some of what I said sinks in and makes sense. And we'll try to clarify some more next week. And next week, hopefully we can make some references back to directly um, Daniel 8, Daniel 7, and even more forward to Revelation. We'll look at some of those references as well. Uh, love you guys. Appreciate you. Let's pray and we'll let you out of here. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. I pray once again, as I do so often, bless your people, strengthen them. And God, as I pray each, each, each day, really protect the people of Souls Harbor, uh, th those that are directly apart and those that are, are joining us here online and, and a part of us virtually. God, I just pray your protection upon each one. Lord, keep each one safe, bless them and strengthen them and help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and your word. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Hey guys, have an awesome week, awesome day. And uh, have a great Mother's Day. I hope to see you back on Sunday. And some of you I'll probably see, uh, or at least I'll be at your front door uh, on Saturday when we drop off our care packages. Love you guys. Appreciate you. Throw up some questions, and uh, we'll pick this up next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.